Many years ago, long before the creation of fire and the development of the wheel, I was a worship pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it feels like it these days. There was one particular time we were working on a project, large church, and uh, we were just uh, changing out the auditorium lighting and uh, the projectors. And I remember sitting down with the project leader, and, and as I was talking to him, just saying, hey, there's some things we got to know before we do this project. I mean, first and foremost, the lights you use in an auditorium are different than the lights you use at home. You know, your 15-watt bulb at home doesn't quite compare to the 500-watt and 750-watt bulbs you're using in theater lights. And, and the reason you bring that up is because you can only put so many of those, anybody familiar with electricity, there's only so many of those you can put on one circuit before you start running into problems. And then I said, and projectors aren't like light bulbs either. You can't just turn them on and off anytime you want. You got to let them cool down. They've got to go through an entire process or you'll break them. And uh, I said, now, uh, take that, let's map out everything, and then I want you to go and I want you to train the people who are installing with you on why this is important to follow these things and why we do this uh, in order to be able to do what we need to do on Sunday morning, and uh, left them. And then when I showed up on Sunday morning, the looks on their faces told me every single thing I needed to know. They had this, uh -huh, you know, look on their face, and sure enough, man, they come running up, it's all going badly, we keep trying to flip breakers, but they keep popping again, and, and one of the projectors works, but the other one doesn't now. We're not sure really why uh, on all this, and you know, not being a jerk, but you eventually just ask the question, did you do what I asked you to do? Because the evidence would indicate otherwise. <laughs> Welcome to the book of Titus. <laughs> what happens when we don't follow the plan? when we don't do what we're supposed to be doing. That's what's going on in this verse. And last week, we, we opened up Titus in chapter 1, and we're going to be there today. So if you want to open your Bibles, we'll be in Titus chapter 1, if you've got your device. We show the uh, verses on the screen here at Radiant, so you follow along in whatever way you are most comfortable. Uh, and if you're a guest, man, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, thanks for being a part of this today. But what we see is interesting in verse 5. Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed. So Paul left Titus with him in some instructions before he left of what he was supposed to be doing. And we have to ask the question, did he do it? And the answer is, it doesn't seem like it because the evidence would point otherwise. What was going on? We talked about last week. The problem was some leaders in particular had slipped into the church in Crete who more and more were looking like the world rather than Jesus Christ. And this was diminishing their witness. And so you've got Paul reaching out to him going, hey, Titus, did you do what I asked you to do? Because here Paul's basically writing hundreds of miles away. And what he's basically saying is, your reputation's so bad, I heard about it on the other side of the Mediterranean. And now I'm writing a letter to you. And it was important to Paul because he believes it's important that we have a strong witness and we have to be cautious about how our behaviors and what we do and how we live our lives either points people to Jesus or diminishes our witness. So Paul's asking his leader, did you do what I asked you to do? And let's face it, if Titus was being honest, he would have to answer back, no, I did not. 
And so we have to ask a big, important question today. How important is godly leadership in the church? How critical is it? If we're being honest, the answer to that question probably is in how you view the church. If you view it as just something you kind of go to every now and then, it's something you mark off your list, you're looking just to kind of get that three ways to live a happier life in America message, uh, probably godly leadership isn't all that important. But if, like many, you see the church as a countercultural voice that exists to live out the mission of God in the world around them, then godly leadership becomes everything, and it becomes critical. And so, for many of you, you kind of got to wrestle in that world of how do I see the church? Is it important or not? Paul begins by reminding his pastor what leaders look like in the church. He's done that before. He would remind Timothy of the same thing elsewise in Scripture, and you'll see a lot of similarities before, between what he told Timothy and what he says in Titus, because Paul thought that godly leadership was critical to the church. And what he describes are ideal character traits that all leaders of the church should have. And so when you ask, Jason, what is it the board, for instance, looks for when they go to try to find new board members or when they try to identify ministry leaders? What is it that Ben and his team look for when they're identifying shepherd leaders to be a part of the shepherding team? What are those character traits? But what we're going to learn is not only are these the character traits for leaders, but if we're being honest, these are character traits for everybody. We should all be raising the bar in our lives to become more and more like Jesus Christ, and it can be a very high bar. And so today, I want to look at what that bar is, and I want you to entertain the thought that godly leadership in the church is important. So let's look at Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 6. What does he say? He says, an elder must be blameless faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Notice he used that word twice. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable and one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. How you doing on that list? I always say the best way to eat an elephant's a piece at a time, so let's just dive into each one of these if we could today. And I, I want to just go ahead and caution you. We're going to fly by these. We don't have time to dive into each one and probably give them exactly the amount of time you need. And the reality is every one of these character traits he lists could be a sermon unto themselves. Uh, so, but for today's uh, purposes, we're, we're going to kind of go quickly through each of these. And I encourage you in your personal study time, if there's one that I think the Holy Spirit is kind of leaning you into and, and maybe kind of just kind of hitting your heart, maybe that means this week in your personal private study time, you need to dive further into that one. And if you need resources on that or want to learn more, Pastor Ben's available, I'm available, other leaders are available to help you in that personal study time because I think it's important. But let's look at some of these character traits and what the idea is behind each of them. The first one, member he mentioned twice, and that is blameless. And before you write that down, that is absolutely wrong. 
uh, what is written on there. And I, I know the exact moment I got that wrong when I was writing up the, uh, the notes on this. Uh, also, you'll notice there's no fill-ins because um, the person who normally does my fill-ins had the gall to go on vacation this week. It's so selfish. Uh, I mean, gosh, you know what I mean? No, it's Pastor Maddie, and she's in Europe, and she didn't take Ben or I, and we're not bitter at all about that, uh, on that. So, but uh, you might have a little more writing to do today, sorry, uh, on that. Under blameless, actually, what's supposed to be there is cannot be accused. Cannot be accused. What does that mean? It means are there legitimate reasons in the culture and in your sphere of influence that people would question your integrity? I'm not asking about perfection. We're going to talk about it several times today. And I'm not asking, does everyone like you? This isn't a popularity contest. And leadership sometimes isn't always about, does everyone like you? But do they have good reasons to question your moral, your ethics, and your character as a person? Are there legal reasons to question your character? How are you known in the marketplace of ideas? And so that's what, I, that's what we're leaning towards here. Are you a person that's known of, to be a respectable person in the community, or are you known otherwise? And again, I, there's several cautions that I want to put with this. The next thing I realized is that for some of you, you have a past. I do. And we're not talking about that. Because the point of the gospel and the point of Jesus' death and resurrection is the fact that you can have new life, new life through Jesus Christ. The past can be gone. The new is here. However, Paul does warn when he's talking to Timothy about putting a new believer into leadership. And what he's saying when we take those two concepts is, yes, there is the old you, and I shouldn't be looking at that old you, but there should be an amount of time somewhere between where you are and here where you have proven behavior that looks like God-like life. You know what I mean? That's why Paul's like, be careful about putting a new believer in too quickly on this. Do, does your life, since salvation, reflect Jesus Christ and his values? How are you known post-salvation in your life? The next one uh, he talks about is faithful to your wife or faithful to your spouse is the idea there. And, and really, it's about do you display loyalty? Because the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. And that includes your marriage. And it's true in church. Core to the faith question, but core to leadership as well, is who has your allegiance? Is it the world or is it Jesus? And leaders have to wrestle with that. Who has your loyalty? Who has your allegiance? And strong wording is this. If you can't show fidelity to the marriage bed, you have no business leading Christ church. In fact, God's biggest argument, and that, that includes having idols, because God's biggest argument against Israel in the Old Testament is that they were adulterous that they were worshiping other idols and other things rather than their devoted worship of Jesus Christ. So it's more than just sex. It has to do, again, with that allegiance question. Who has your worship? What has your time and attention in life? And I think I have to go ahead and just go there, as I sometimes do, and step on toes a little bit. And just tell you, when it comes to leadership, this includes porn as well. 
porn is cheating on your spouse. And you can't serve in leadership and have a porn problem. Next one. Children who are not wild and disobedient. The key idea in that means that the parent in particular has their child's respect. Because frankly, not wild and disobedient, um, I'm going to have to step down too because there are times when kids are just kids. You know what I mean? We're not talking about are your kids perfect. My kid's reaction when I say, hey, go clean your room isn't always praise Jesus, thank you, Dad, I was waiting on that. You know what I mean? There are times when my kids are getting out of control and you just have to say, hey, time out, no, 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 too far. You know what I mean? We're not talking about that. But when you do as a parent have to step in and say, stop, how then do your kids react? Do they understand that discipline is sometimes necessary, that respecting their parents is still a biblical requirement? Honor your father and your mother in the Lord. And so when we look at somebody, we have to say, what do their kids look like in public sometimes? Are they unruly? There's a bigger transparency here, though, that we can't ignore, and that's this. For you to be an elder or a board member or somebody that's a ministry leader or even a small group leader, that means that your home life is transparent to the church. In other words, you are the same person at home you claim to be on Sunday morning. And that your home life is open to scrutiny and accountability from the church. You can't have a bunch of secrets at home and then play church on Sunday. Second, it does not mean that your adult children are going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And this one's a hard one. It does mean you raised them up in Christ, that you taught them Jesus. But core to the biblical understanding of salvation is that we all have free will. And love requires us to make a choice at some point because love without a choice is slavery. You raise your kids, you teach them about Jesus, but you can't make them fall in love with Jesus. So don't put that burden on yourselves. Do your best job to point them towards Jesus Christ and everything they do. The next thing, they manage God's household. The key idea on that is stewardship. That's a word we use every now and then. It's not a word we necessarily use in everyday language. What does it mean? Well, at the core, what the Bible teaches us is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Key to understanding Genesis is to understand that God created the earth and he created this garden. He put Adam there, and what was Adam's job? To care for the garden. That's stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is managing somebody else's stuff. That's what it means. And when we finally grasp that concept that everything belongs to God, that includes my family, that includes my finances, and it includes the church. Everything belongs to God. And at best, we have been giving stewardship to manage His church for which we will be held accountable. Stewardship comes with accountability. 
So how are you doing with God's stuff? Leaders understand everything belongs to God. The next one, they are not overbearing. In other words, they don't struggle with control. Know any control freaks in your life? I'm going to guess from the laughter you do. What's a controller? Well, a controller likes to manipulate and massage their circumstances to get their desired outcome. You know what I mean? They'll manipulate conversations. They'll manipulate data. They'll bend some things here, move a couple things here in order to get what they want. And if you've ever been around somebody in your life that's controlling, you know that's what they do. They try to control what you think. They try to control what you say. And after a while, it gets really hard to live with a controller. And by the way, the only thing a controller hates worse is when another controller tries to come along and tries to control them. Watch out for that. The Greek word for overbearing here means self-pleasing, self-willed, and arrogant. At the center of an overbearing person's world is themselves. And what comes with control is another neat little word called agendas. Controlling people have agendas. And you can't be in leadership at the church and have agendas. Again, it's God's church. It's His will. It's His way. The next one, they are not quick-tempered, which means they're not inclined towards anger. You ever been around an angry person? Like, they're angry all the time. They're just like a pressure kettle waiting to explode constantly. And, and what's it like when you live around somebody that's constantly angry? You're like, you're, you're tap dancing, you're tiptoeing on glass around them, always afraid that, you know what, this next thing I say or do is going to be the match that lights this firecracker, baby. It's fear. You're always just tap dancing around them, hoping to not do anything that stirs the pot or cause trouble. And that's a form of slavery to itself. People don't want to feel like they're always walking on glass around you. Frankly, we can't have a church like that either. People that have an anger problem, hey, we all got varying levels of that, but truly, like the flavor of their life is this person is constantly angered. It can't be in church leadership. The next one's always fun. Not given to drunkenness. And it might surprise you what I put as the overarching idea for this one. It's that leaders understand the need for boundaries. And so first, I'm just going to go ahead and call out the elephant in the room, okay? There is no prohibition to alcohol in the New Testament. There is no thou shalt not drink. There, the Bible does have a lot to say, though, about drunkenness. And drunkenness has to do with losing control. When I talk about boundaries here, what I'm saying is a healthy leader understands the difference between one glass of wine and six. They know when to say enough is enough. They have self-awareness in their lives. Now, if you're the sort of Christian that just does not believe that people should drink, I want to champion you. I'm not here to say you're wrong, right, and things like that. What I do want to tell you is this. Drinking is not an essential salvation idea in Scripture, so can we please quit arguing about it, okay? The truth is people need to know God loves them and He has a plan for their lives long before you get into the alcohol conversation, okay? 
Too many lost people in our community to sit on this one. If that's something you hold firmly to, I want to champion you on that. I just don't think you should be demanding that of other people. And, and a lot of times I get, you know, sometimes you find someone and they, they walk through a rehab program, which is awesome. You know, maybe they go through AA, maybe they go through um, Celebrate Recovery or Teen Challenge uh, or Sheepgate, whatever that may be, and they come out and that's awesome. Um, but if you've ever been around someone like that, man, they can be very dogmatic and single-minded and focused. Like, this worked for me, so it's going to work for you, but that's not the case because let's go back to it again. You know what? The person struggling uh, with pornography, putting the beer down might not be their biggest issue right now. What they need are boundaries and accountability. They need someone to be watching their search history. They need reports going out when, when websites are visited that shouldn't be visited. They know all sorts of other things. So be careful about always just saying, hey, this worked for me, this works for you. But healthy boundaries are a part of any strong godly leader's life. The next one, leaders are not violent. They are forgiving. Now, that might, you might be saying, that's a weird one to put in there, forgiving. But I want to tell you this. When you have a posture and a spirit about you that leans into forgiveness before other things, then it will allow you to use wisdom to step back from a heated conversation or something going on and do what most of our moms told us to do, count to 10. You know what I mean? It allows us to be able to see the situation for what it is. When our first posture is to forgive somebody, it can open our minds to the possibilities there may be more going on here than just my emotions and my feelings. To be able to engage that conversation wisely. You have to have a posture of forgiveness in your life, though. And when it comes to leaders in God's church, revenge and retaliation are off the table. You cannot have an agenda of revenge and retaliation and be a leader in Christ's church. Don't do it. It will require, trust me on this, an enormous amount of forgiveness and love. The next piece, not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, this one might surprise you. It means we must be able to submit to authority. Because when you're pursuing dishonest gain, you're all about you at that point, right? What does submission say? Submitting means putting someone else's wants, needs, and desires above your own. See, when you're pursuing dishonest gain, it's all about you, your agendas, what you want. The opposite of that is submitting, which means how do I think of God and others? How do I put that first? It's a posture of serving in his church. And if you've ever kind of said this, I, every now and then I hear it. Someone will say, you know what, if I was on the board, I'd tell you what I'd do, and I'd tell you what I'd say. If that's something that's come out of your mouth or you've thought it, you're not ready for the board. There's no personal agendas on the board or in discipleship team or small group leaders. It's about loving God and loving others. The next thing, hospi hospitable. 
Leaders in the church are welcoming. That means that you're welcoming and hospitable at your home, that it's open and available for people if they need. But I want to go a different direction with this too and challenge something that we used to challenge leaders on quite a bit a few years ago, and I realized I've kind of backed away with this and just being busy. If you're in leadership at Radiant, you should not need to be on the usher greeter schedule. And I'll tell you why. Because you should understand that you are an usher greeter no matter what, if you're a leader in this church. It means that you show up 15, 20, maybe even 30 minutes for the prayer time, and you're ready at any time, A, to just love on the Radiant family and see how people are doing, but B, to find that new face and introduce yourself to that person. But you shouldn't have to be put on the schedule. Radiant leaders understand they are stealth greeters, and they always exist to help unify the body together and to help those who are new take next steps at Radiant Church. So are you a welcoming person? Wrestle with that a little bit. The next one is leaders love what is good. In other words, at its core, they seek God's will. And I'll just say this one, we don't have to spend too much time. If you truly want to seek God's will and know his plans and purposes for his life, you will need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, period. You must have Christ in us. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit and then submitted to being guided by the Holy Spirit in your life. Which then gets us to our next one, which is you must be self-controlled. And at the core of that is you do not live by the flesh. The Bible talks about the flesh. It's talking about living like the world. It's your earthly nature. If it looks good, feels good, tastes good, sounds good, it must be good. It's, Paul called that living by your senses. But in Romans 8, he was very clear. There's two different worlds. There's the worlds of the flesh, and the opposite of that was the world of the Spirit. That we are called as Christians to live in the Spirit, which means we must be attuned to heavenly ways, kingdoms, God's purposes in our lives. And so for you to live a self-controlled life, we don't live by the flesh. We don't live like the world. We live like kingdom people, citizens, ambassadors, and representatives of his kingdom and all that we do, which gets to the next one then, which is we're called to be upright, and the clear statement there is, are you a good example? But I want to revisit that idea. I'm not talking about perfection here. None of us are going to fit that litmus test, okay? Paul says he stumbles in many ways. I'm in trouble. You know what I mean? What are we talking about when we say setting a good example? What I'm talking about is this. When I look at your life over the course, let's say four or five years, is it a life whose trajectory is pointed towards Jesus? Or is it a trail of debris and destruction behind you? Which one describes you? Listen, my journey, yes, sometimes looks like three steps forward, two steps back, okay? But the trajectory is pointed towards Jesus. Is your life, the flavor of your life, pointed towards Jesus or pointed towards the world? Leaders understand that their lives need to point towards Jesus if they're to point others to Jesus. What's the next one? Holy. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to sit too long, but what we know about holiness is this. A, that you're set apart for God's work, which means leaders have a calling. And those he calls, he equips, the Bible says. 
but also they are not blended with the world. And this was the problem in Titus. His leaders had one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and it was diminishing their witness. Not blended means that we are pure. He's calling us to holiness. And if you're not going to live a holy life, the Bible has a word for that too, and it's called hypocrisy. You're pretending to be something that you are not. Next one, disciplined. They are self-motivated. The best athletes out there, the people who know how to win the races, don't need their coach sitting next to their bed in the morning to get them out of bed. They get out of bed. They get it done. They know the finish line, they know the race, and they are focused on being the winner. And we're called to run the race like we're supposed to win as well. Leaders are not mules that need a whip. They are stallions often that need a bit. And there's a huge difference. We're called to be self-motivated, which means we get it done. And best leaders out there understand they get it done without putting more on the other leaders' plates. Genuine leaders exist to take things off my plate, not add it on. That's a very hard thing for people to grasp sometimes, but let's face a reality here. If you're not taking something off my plate, why do I need you? I mean, can we just be blunt? Leaders exist to take things off the plate and to get it done. The next one, the last one, must hold firmly to the message. In other words, they are steadfast. Paul talks in Ephesians 4 that they're, they're not like a reed that's swaying in the wind with every new idea and great thing with the culture. And, you know, uh, the, they're, they're not people who are looking for the latest and the greatest. A true leader understands that this is the Word of God and we must hold to it. Even when it's unpopular. Even when it doesn't make us friends. We put the Word of God first. And true leaders test things according to Scripture to see, is this the will and the way of God? That's what leaders do, but they are not, they are not blowing in the wind. They're not like that leaf at the beginning of spinning a forest gump that's just kind of blowing around with the wind, you know what I mean? The Bible is a lighthouse to guide your ship by. And so the two chief challenges we see of every leader in the church is this. Number one, they are to build up the faithful. And number two, they're to eliminate error. And for the leaders of the church, error can be both doctrinal and theology, but sometimes error can be, hey, your accounting books don't add up, okay? But leadership is important. Why? Well, let's land the plane. Unless you've been asleep, there's a tug of war between the biblical church and the culture today. Some might call it a war. And if we're being honest, the false idea guiding much of this tension and what's going on is this, this idea that somehow the Bible is antiquated. It's no longer relevant to our times. It doesn't apply. We have evolved. We have grown We've matured. We've matured beyond the fairy tales and the myths 
and the quaint little stories of Scripture. Just be happy. And yet happiness isn't listed in the Bible hardly at all. It does call us to joy, which is a life lived out for Christ. I believe the world needs godly leaders now more than ever. And the reason Titus's church was having so many problems is that the leaders there were compromising. It's one little compromise here, another little compromise here, and compromise there. And, and I get the compromises. I deal with it in my own family. It's like, I just want us all to get along, and, and um, I, I don't want to cause waves. And, and I, I want to be seen as loving. I don't want to be seen like a jerk. I mean, I, I get the different things, but it's a compromise here, and a compromise here, and a compromise here, and a compromise here. And guess what? At some point, you just die a death of paper cuts. A bunch of little compromises become big compromise over time. And that's what he's dealing with. And that's what a lot of churches are dealing with in America today, if we're being honest. I want you to love Jesus' church so much that it's more than just something you do on Sunday that you mark off your list and just get three ways to have a better life. I want you to love his church so much that you're willing to die for it. Why? Because Acts 20 tells us that Jesus Christ died to purchase this church by his blood. He purchased us out of slavery and he calls us to be good shepherds of his church. It was bought at an enormous price. And he's calling us to be good stewards with it. I want you to realize how important a biblical church is in our world today. And I want you to be willing to be steadfast. And I understand the battle and the tension out there, but I get it. For some of you, you're going to have to ask, who defines my values? Is it God or the HR department at work? Did I step on a toe or two there? Christians more and more are going to have to stand up lovingly for what they believe. And that's why godly leaders are so important in the world today. That's why I'm asking you to strive to be a leader in your life. Don't waver. Don't compromise. Be loving. But please remember this. The world needs to see something different in us. It doesn't need more of the same old, same old. And the way of Jesus Christ provides a message of hope that you can have new life. And that's your message today if you've never received Christ. Today you can decide to draw a line in sand and say, I will serve him. But my friends, fight. Stand up for what you believe in and don't compromise. We need godly leaders today more than ever. Let's pray.